presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to Manifest His Presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Hello, everybody. It's Pastor Adam again, and I have something today that for me, it's this is really some of the things how God downloads to me to share that I really, uh, I just feel these are some of the things that are really the gift God has given me. So I hope, I hope you receive what you hear. So let's go to God first to acknowledge him and to thank him. Father, we thank you for this day and for this time and for this opportunity again to have some time to focus on you and understand what it is, what's going on and why you made us and why we're here. So I thank you, Father God, for this and ask for your blessing over it in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So um, today's title uh, is called The Matrix. Now, there was a movie that came out in 1999 called The Matrix. Now, the main character, I think a lot of people have seen it, but it's, you know, that's 24 years ago. The main character is a computer hacker called Neo. Now, he suspects that something is wrong with the world, but he doesn't really know what it is. And he's put in touch with a resistance group led by a character called Morpheus. Now, Morpheus reveals to Neo that everything he thinks of as reality is, in fact, a complex computer program. And in fact, every human is contained in a container and is, nothing, and is nothing more than a battery that produces heat and electric energy for the artificial intelligent machines that have taken over the world. Now, Neo is presented with the opportunity to break out of the program, give up the fake version of reality he's been living in, and become part of the resistance. So today, what I'm going to try to do is I want to use aspects from this movie, The Matrix, to explain how there are similarities in this movie depicting a Christian's life. And I suspect if you've seen that movie, you've probably heard things about this and yourself been able to see the correlations in that movie to a journey as a Christian. But I think you, and I suspect you will see the correlation in your life. And I want to share a question that's presented in the movie that is, I think, a, a similar question that all humanity asks at some point in our lives. It's a question that I think, frankly, drives us. Here's the question. Is there something more? You know, many times we will say or hear someone say, is this all there is? Now, on reflection, we tend to ask ourselves that question when life is tough. You know, like, is this all there is to life? We'll say, is, is this all that life's about? Is this really as good as it gets? Now, philosophers through the ages have asked these similar questions. The Greek philosopher Gorgias compared humanity to leaky jars. He claimed that humanity was never satisfied and was always looking to be filled up again, to have their jar full so they could feel okay. Here's this British singer-songwriter named Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones. He put it this way, I can't get no. 
satisfaction. I believe most of us can identify with the sense of unease in our world. And if this is really as good as it gets, then many come to the conclusion that there is no hope. We'll we'll try, people will try to fill their jars with different things, with, with relationships, with important careers, uh, with material possessions, with entertainment, with other things like drugs and alcohol. But none of that satisfies. A Christian philosopher, Augustine, said this, our souls are restless. Now, if we are honest, we've experienced that, that restlessness, this lack of satisfaction. And we, we know that this cannot be all that there is. And there are events in life that serve to bring us to this point. It, it might be something like the end of a painful relationship, a, a divorce, maybe the death of somebody you cared about. And we stand, and there's so many other things. And we stand on the other side of those kinds of things and we'll say to ourselves, if this really is the final word and if this really is all there is, well, then things just don't really make sense. And it's at times like this that we can be filled if, with hopelessness. Now, I say all that because if you look over the last few years, <laughs> that kind of worldview I just talked about has been heightened, right? Things like I'm talking about the coronavirus and how it was handled has made many people feel the way I just described. What we all lived through was a global mass psychosis, people. The media created a false narrative that led people to live in chronic anxiety, fear, and isolation. If if anyone has studied psychological warfare, remember now, folks, I'm, I'm a retired naval officer. Some of this stuff I'm talking about, I got to see. I didn't participate in, but I got to see this kind of stuff. My security clearance was very high above top secret and things that I was able to see uh, and, and hear in my 22 years in the military. Now, I've been out of the military since 2008. But I, I say again, if anyone studied psychological warfare, you'll know that those two points already mentioned, the anxiety and human isolation will cause most people to decompensate psychologically and they'll become extremely vulnerable, gullible, and extremely easy to manipulate and control. And it's at that point that many times people are offered the false golden calf. What was the false golden calf that was offered for the coronavirus? It was this pseudo vaccine. It's a false promise and many people gravitated towards it as a short term measure to relieve their anxiety. It's not intellectual, folks. This whole thing has been purely emotional. And we also saw that if you challenge someone, even some of the most intellectual people who fall in into this trap, they would become extremely belligerent because 
If you challenge it, what you're really doing is you're bringing them back into that anxiety state that they definitely don't want to be in. So they've come to the conclusion because they don't want to be anxious anymore and live in fear. Okay, so let's let's jump back now to this Neo in the movie, in the movie, The Matrix. Okay, Neo had been sensing that something is wrong with the world that the world was never meant to to be this way. And in his case, something was wrong because it was an illusion that he was living. But for us in this existence right here, we've we've probably experienced this sense of something being wrong with the world. Do you you see it now? You know, what else is it gonna take for for us to see the illusion being presented to us? I mean, things like, you know, human trafficking of these young girls and boys who are later found dead and often sexually molested. You know, something in me cries out that it was never meant to be this way. What kind of world do we live in where a young kid can't go out to play and parents must, you know, fear for the safety of their children being captured or molested? It's just, it's just so wrong. And it's never, it was never part of the original plan. This chaos surrounding the riots and the protests a few years ago, right? And then the never-ending issues around the last general election and the never-ending indictments of one guy. But everybody else on the opposing side, nothing happens to. In America, I'm talking about. In other words, Many of us are wondering if we've been duped by the mainstream media, by politicians, by Hollywood, and folks, yes, even by some of the history books. We don't want to go there, but there is so much evidence pointing to that, to come to that conclusion. For for many of us, our lives have been bamboozled by, by the mesmerizing smiles of celebrities and professional athletes. And this has just got me perplexed. But somehow a skewed view of history has found its way into our schools. And so much of what we believe about history, about current events, about government and its institutions, folks, is inaccurate and being falsely taught and taught a lot. And the hardest thing is that so many of us are I don't, I don't know how to say it other than that we're perfectly content with the belief system that we have. And the frustrating thing about deception is someone can believe something to be true with every fiber of their being and still be deceived. I found this. I have found that the truth is no respecter of sincerity. When God created his earth and put humankind on it, It wasn't in his design that we should do these things to each other. He created us to love him and to love one another, to cherish the beautiful world that he had given us. And what have we done? Well, I'm not reaching very far, but I can just tell you this, blood is on our hands. And frankly, what's going on, each one of us is infected with a virus. Now, the Bible calls this virus sin. Sin is like any virus we've ever seen in the natural, like the West Nile virus or the H1N1 or the SARS virus or Ebola or COVID-19. You know, a virus, it creeps steadily to anywhere that it hasn't been, right? 
And sin, which started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, has crept its way and contaminated the whole of humanity. Not one of us is free from its effect. It corrupts our minds, our will, and our emotions. Sin corrupts our soul, in other words. We know, each of us know how we struggle. We know the darkness that is in each one of our souls. We know there is stuff we think about that we're glad no one ever else gets to know about us. Well, the Bible puts it this way in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, okay, so we're all in the same group. Well, hallelujah, there's good news, however. We are destined for something so much greater than this grubbing around, this hating, this hurting, this hitting, this backstabbing and biting that we've somehow grown used to so that now we just tend to think of it as that's just the way it is. Sadly, too many of us have accepted that is what life is. This kind of dog eat dog, look out for number one, because if I don't look out for myself, no one will kind of look out for me life. You know, you scratch my back, I'll claw claw yours and somehow we'll get by kind of mentality. And you know what the fruit of that type of worldview is? (laughs) Well, just look around the, the world. A world that's populated by bitter, hurting people who don't believe in brotherly love anymore. That's what the matrix is in the world right now. And sadly, people don't dare to hope that life could be good again or that life could be good ever. All right, so I've said all that because maybe you listening right now are one of those people. You're so battered. You're so bruised by life. It takes all your energy just to hold yourself together and function each day. And and maybe quietly you're going, I don't think I can take this anymore, this heartbreak. Because another one just might be it for me. I'm here to remind you, our creator is saying, hang in there. Now, let me bring some levity. <laughs> this has been pretty intense. I get, I get it. But let me bring a little levity to uh, bring us back to center maybe a little bit before continuing. All right. So this is a little uh, story. Okay. There was this elected official, a politician, walking down the street one day, and he was tragically hit by a car and died. So his soul arrives in heaven and is met by St. Peter at the entrance. St. Peter says, welcome to heaven. Before you settle in, it seems there's a problem we have. We seldom see high officials around these parts, so we're not sure what to do with you. What we're going to do is have you spend one day in hell and one day in heaven. Then we're going to talk again about where you're going to spend eternity. And with that, St. Peter escorts the... The, dead, the new dead politician down to the elevator and down, down, down he goes to hell. The door is open and he finds himself in the middle of a beautiful green, lush golf course. And in the distance is a clubhouse and standing in front of it are all his friends and other politicians who had worked with him. 
Everyone is incredibly happy and elegantly dressed. They run to, to greet him, they shake his hand, they hug him, they reminisce about the good times they had while getting rich at the expense of all the people. They played a friendly game of golf and then dined on lobster and caviar and the finest champagne. Now, also present during all of this is the Satan, who really is very, a very friendly guy who is having a good time, time dancing and telling jokes. They're all having such a good time that before the politician realizes it, his 24 hours is up and it's time to go. Everyone gives him a hearty farewell and waves while he gets in the elevator and the gets in the elevator and the elevator goes up, 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 up. And the door reopens in heaven where St. Peter is waiting for him. And he says, now you get to spend the next 24 hours in heaven. And those 24 hours passed with the politician joining a group of very happy and content and joyful souls moving from cloud to cloud, playing the harp and singing, and they're having a grand time. And once again, before he realizes it, the 24 hours has gone by and St. Peter returns and he says, okay, well then you've spent a day in hell and another in heaven. We want you to choose your eternity. The politician goes, well, um, I never would have said it before. I mean, heaven has been delightful, but I think I would be better off in hell. So St. Peter escorts him to the elevator and down, down, down to hell he goes. And the door of the elevator is open. But this time he's in the middle of a barren land covered with waste and garbage. He sees all his friends, but this time they're now dressed in rags and they're picking up the trash as it seems there's a never-ending bunch of trash to pick up. Now the Satan comes over to him and puts his arm around his shoulder and, and the politician goes, I, I, I don't understand. Yes, yesterday I was here. There was a golf course, a clubhouse. We had lobster and caviar and champagne. We were dancing, telling jokes, having a great time. And now... All I see is a wasteland full of garbage and my friends look miserable. What in the world happened? The Satan smiles at him and says, well, yesterday we were campaigning. Today you voted. So one night early on in his ministry, Jesus gets a visit from one of the rulers of the Jewish people. It was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was, in very, he was very impressed with what Jesus had been saying and doing and admitted that Jesus must have been sent by God. In reply to that, Jesus tells him in John chapter 3, verse 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, this being born again phrase, we all know, is a very common expression regarding Christianity but it is a Christian jargon sort of phrase, so I want to explain it. I want to make sure everybody understands. Obviously, you don't become physically born again, but you experience such a radical reordering of your understanding of the world that only a phrase like being born again can explain what transpires. If, if you can cast your mind back to when you were first born or imagine that sensation, the previously like secure baby who had grown quite comfortable, thank you very much, in this quiet little pink room called the womb with a reassuring heartbeat, 
is thrust out into this bright new world where everything feels different, looks different, and it's a little bit scary. Even though it's a progression, it can feel threatening. Well, folks, when we decide to follow Jesus, we're signing up for the very same sort of experience. I mean, you're shaken out of the way you previously viewed life. You, you discover that there is a parallel world to this one, that there is more to life than just work, taxes, bills, and stress. But you weren't aware of this. The, the Bible recognizes this delusion and talks about it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, but even if our gospel is in some sense hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only to those who are perishing. Among them, the God of this world, the Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to prevent them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And the strange fact is that this parallel world is even more real than the one we're used to living in. For, for the sake of argument, let's just call this parallel world the spiritual world. And this is some new kind of stuff for our brains to fathom. It turns out, folks, that we have a soul. And it turns out that this soul was created by God so that you could know him and experience his love. Now, this is new information that there is a God after all, that he knows you even with your failures in your dark side. And he loves you. The creator of the universe wants a relationship with you. Yes, even though there are billions of people on this planet, God's interested in you. And whatever you've done, however much of a loser you may think you are, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's unbreakable. This is what the scriptures say about that. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> now let's not just pass by what we just read in Romans 8. The acknowledgement of this parallel world, the spiritual world, which, by the way, includes angels and demons and very real evil, okay, but which also includes the love of God, which is stronger than any of these other things. But here's the rub. Some folks will want to hang on to the illusion of the first world, believing that only what they see is real. In the Matrix movie, there's a funny scene. Well, I think it's kind of funny. You might not, but it's, it's, it's a little less intense than most. It's where this other character who is a part of the resistance called Cypher tells Neo, I know what you're thinking. You're going, why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? The beginning of the movie, at the beginning when he meets Morpheus, Neo was given an option to take one of two pills, a red pill or a blue pill. If he took the blue pill, things are going to be the same. If he takes the red pill, in the movie it says you're going to go really far down the rabbit hole about what life's really about. And so this, when Cypher says here, 
you know, he's looking at Neo going, man, I bet you right now, the way things are going, it's crazy. I bet you you wish you took the blue pill because the blue pill is being the one that allows you to continue living in the computer program believing world, the fake world. And the irony is later on in the movie, Cypher, who in the movie is actually the equivalent of the Judas figure, he betrays everybody and makes a deal with the artificial intelligence to be put back in the container to live forever in the illusion because he thought it was safer, right? He'd preferred to live in the fantasy world than face the reality that there's something more to life than what we've seen. Well, some of us in this world want to live that way. We live in fear. We, we prefer to live that way. We prefer to believe there's no spiritual world. We prefer to believe there is no God. And those types of people actually act and believe that nothing they do really matters, that nothing has eternal consequences, that there is no such thing as heaven and hell. Of this type of attitude, the scriptures tell us this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 20. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven." from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, Wow. You know, sometimes we just can't accept things and can't believe them, but that doesn't change the truth of them, folks. And for those types of people who want to live in the matrix, want to live in the fantasy, their God is earthly pleasures with no thought of eternal matters. Their mind is on earthly things. They're trapped in the illusion that only what they can see is real. And sadly, that road only leads to destruction because God doesn't force anyone to believe in him, to follow him because he loves us so much. He doesn't force us. He invites us. Oh, does he ever? And he forgives us. Oh, does he ever? But it's up to us to respond. If we turn our back on his love, refuse to accept his love, and then God allows us to do that. And the consequence is eternal separation from God, a state of being that the Bible calls hell. What is, see, in the movie The Matrix, what is considered the real world is the wasteland. In the movie, it was the result of nuclear devastation in the battle between the humans and the artificial intelligence. And for us, the real world is what we make of it. We can choose to see this life as a playground for us to lose ourselves in, a type of fantasy world, if you will, where we just live for whatever pleasures we can squeeze out of it, but there are consequences to living life only like that. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 15 and 17 tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, in this context, this phrase, do not love, means do not give your ultimate allegiance to something that is temporary. Life here on earth, folks, is temporary. So therefore, limit your investment here to those material things and wrong relationships. For instance, if you are given a house, but told that it's going to be destroyed by an earthquake in three months, I know we would, each one of us would limit the amount of money that we would put and that we would invest in that home. You wouldn't redecorate any rooms. You wouldn't buy extra things. You're right. You wouldn't add on an additional room, right? Buy new furniture, et cetera, because you know that you'd be throwing all that money and emotional investment into something that's going to vanish. In other words, you would be placing your valuable resources into something that is temporary. Instead, we are to put our resources into something that lasts forever. I'm talking, folks, about our souls and the transformation that our souls need to partake in. I'm talking about spending more of your time and all of your time on developing a greater understanding of your spiritual life. I'm talking about a life of loving God and putting God first. I'm talking about a life of loving others first. Talking about living in a way that is in a stark contrast to the culture around us that is busy spending all it can on the temporary in the self and teaching you and trying to get us all to live in fear. See, in the spiritual world, in the born again world, we're living with a different time frame, folks. And because when you live that way, then you're not asking, how can I squeeze the most out of the years that I have to live here? We ask deeper questions than that. We simply questions like, well, what is important then? How can I prepare for being with God forever? What really counts? See, and you can look at the world and say, and to the people in this world, you can say, it doesn't have to be this way. Folks, because when you declare your allegiance to God, you become an agent for change. You start to love the unlovingly. You take care of those who have nothing special to give back to you. You get involved in situations of injustice and try and put it right. And it's, and why? Because it's things like this that matter to God. And as God's agent, they start to matter to you too then. So you don't have to stay in the desert. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He also said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they have met and they have life and have it to the full. He further said in John chapter 14, verse 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So folks, entering this parallel reality doesn't mean that life will be less. 
Reality is that life will be more. Instead of looking at our days as simply work, taxes, bills, and stress, man, there'll be a glory to each and every day that you're here. There's a beauty to it when you start to look at it through God's lens. It's beauty when God can look at you and me and look at the wrong things we've done and say, let's start again. Right? When God says, my son's death on the cross has paid any penalty you owed for what you did wrong. Now come to me and let me heal you and love you. It's beauty when God can take a cold heart like mine and bring me to tears at the wonder of his creation. It's beauty when God can take selfishness and transform it into a self-giving love, moving a businessman to give up his Saturday mornings to serve breakfast to a homeless man stinking of urine. (laughs) It's beauty when God can take the agonizing tragedy of death and remite the matrix so that it becomes a doorway to knowing him closer than ever before. Right? It's this kind of beauty that says death does not have the final word. It's beauty when God helps to realize that this is not all that there is, that this is just a foreshadowing of an amazing reality that he has prepared for us in a place called heaven where there will be no more pain or crying, where God will wipe away every tear, where broken hearts will be mended for all time and where love finally reigns 24-7. And you know what? You have the choice. So choose wisely, my friend. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining Dr. Candice for today's podcast. For more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box, go to our website at www.candicesmithyman.com, Facebook at Candice Smithyman, or Instagram, at Candace Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel.